appropriate to show just a part of it today to remind us of a little bit of our history. And uh, as because today is the last in our sermon series called This Is Us. And what we have been looking at when we uh, have been going through this series is what is our mission and what is our the cultural values that we want to have as we carry out these uh, this mission. And one of the things that we have tried to emphasize is that we are not reinventing the wheels, so to speak. That these things have been a part of our church from its very founding. And I hope that even we get a glimpse as we watch this video that this mission statement is, is really what we, are, we have always been about and we want to double down on. The mission statement is this, that we exist to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. And when we think about back on the history of our church, that is why this church and this conference were, was founded, so that we could spread a passion for God, so that He would be above all else in our lives and in our church and in our community. And then as we, look, and then as we think about what it is that we are accomplishing, there is a how to that. Not the how of the specifics, that's a different how, but the how of the cultural values are the the spirit with which we want to do them. And so we have talked about having spirit-led sensitivity. There there is that sense that even even those that began our church had a sense, this Lord, you are leading us to do this. And we want to continue as a church not to act in our own wisdom, but to be led by the Spirit. There is a daring openness in ministry. There is a riskiness to what we are doing. Not only that we step outside of our comfort zone at times, but that we, that we are seeking to engage in relationships with those that may be different than, than our background or than from our, have different experiences than the experiences that we have had. There is a daring openness in ministry. There is a deep togetherness. Deep togetherness is that idea that, that we have not only friendships, but we have a sense of, of being together in ministry, that there is a bonded, that we are bonded together so that we have relationships and that we, uh, and that we go deep in our relationships with one another to encourage one another in Christ. And then lastly, that there is Christ-like gentleness. We want to do everything with a sense of Christ-like gentleness. And so these are the things that I hope are, that our hope are just kind of buried into the, that history that we have as a church. And we, are, and we are seeking to double down on each of these things as a church. That this is what God ha- is calling us to do. And how He is calling us to carry it out. That we really are to be a church... That is all about spreading a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. And as we do that, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to be led by the Spirit. We're going to be daringly open in ministry. We're going to have a deep togetherness. And we're going to embody Christ-like gentleness. And so these are the things that we have been talking about. In a sense, these are our dreams. The mission statement and the cultural values are dreams for us what we want to do, and the spirit with which we want to do it. And so this, last, so this morning's message, the last in our series, is entitled Living the Dream. 
Because we want to think now, now that we have discussed all of this, where do we go from here? What are we rallying around? How are we going to live out that dream? Now, this is our dream, but I really believe deep down inside, it is God's dream for us as well. And so as we think about these things, as we think about living the dream, we want to look to Scripture and say, what are the dreams of God? And get a picture for the, for the dreams that God has for the world and ultimately for our lives. And so we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 42, verses 5 through 9. Isaiah 42. Isaiah uh, was a prophet that lived about 700 years before Jesus was on the earth. And, uh, and Isaiah, when he lived, the Israelites, the people that he was, he, he was writing to were in turmoil. They were, under, they were in distress because they were meant to be God's chosen people. Any of us that have been in church for any length of time understand that God had set up a covenant with the Israelites and he had a relationship with them. But as Isaiah writes, it begins, they begin to wonder, does God still have special plans for us? Because in 722 B.C., the Babylonians had come, over, had come into Jerusalem and taken over the north, northern kingdom. And then in 587, we see that Israel fell to the Babylonians as well. And as they're in this suffering, re, Isaiah reminds them that God still has dreams for them. That God's dreams uh, for them have not been thwarted or uh, He has not given up on them. But uh, Isaiah takes the, takes the people back in his writings all the way to creation and then points them forward to the Messiah who would be to come and how God was to accomplish his purposes among them. And so let's turn now Isaiah 42 and we're going to read verses 5 through 7. Isaiah 42 5 through 7. Thus thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And so he is now proclaiming these things that will come, things that we can take on and we can uh, grasp onto and uh, bring into our lives and into our church today. Let me just take a minute and ask for the Lord's help as we uh, look at this passage together. Father God, I just pray that you would come now by your Spirit and be our teacher. God, I pray that you would just take over and that your word would be proclaimed and that your will would be done here in this place. God, we thank you for today. God, I thank you that we are able to gather as a church and we, we have been able to sing praises together to you. And we are just in, uh, we are so thankful for who you are to us. 
We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for what you have done up until this point to bring us here today. Thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross for our sins that we might have a relationship with you. And God, as we gather now and as we seek to look at your word, I pray that you would uh, breathe life into it and that you would come and that you would just uh, that you would speak to us. God, we recognize whenever we gather together, each of us comes today with different things on our hearts. Our minds are fixed on different things. But God, you have a message for each one of us. And so God, open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you that we would receive exactly from you today what you would have for us. And we pray that you would bless us as a church as we spend one more day today thinking about the mission statement and the cultural values. We pray that you would bless us and help us to carry out the work that you have called us to. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about 16 or 17 years old, uh, I went to work at a camp called Hidden Acres Christian Center. And uh, I thought I was just going to have a great summer that summer. And uh, I, I went there because I wanted to be in nature all summer. They had, a, they had a big lake, and I just wanted to go on canoe rides and have bonfires at night. And it was going to be a great summer. I was convinced of it. And when I got there, it was, as, it was, it was a lot of fun. Every week we'd have campers come in and I'd make up games and, uh, for them. And the, the, the lake, I call it a lake, but it's more like a swamp. I mean, this thing was dirty. It was a damned, dammed up creek. And, uh, and so I would take these kids back. I mean, I think back on it now and I maybe sometimes I took some of this stuff too far. But I would take them back into the into the um, back part of this creek, and we were in a canoe, and I'd, I'd get to the point where I knew the land was, or the water was just shallow enough, I could jam my oar in there, and I'd shake that canoe hard, and I'd tell them we were getting attacked by alligators. Now, keep in mind, we were in Iowa. There are no alligators in Iowa, but I had these kids freaked out, and uh, we had all kinds of fun. It was a great time, but uh, that camp was not only fun, but in a sense, it was a formational time for me. God was doing a real work in my heart. I, I believe I was a Christian before I went to work at the camp, but God had got a hold of my life in a way that up until that point, it was just all surfacy. You know, I'd say I was a Christian, but that was because my parents were Christians, and I went to church on Sunday, but now it began to sink in. And I began to understand who God was, and I began to actually, my, my love for God grew. And, uh, and as I was there, there was experiences that we were able to, to be a part of that uh, I think back and I think, wow, that was, those were things that are important to me to this day. I remember gathering with my friends, and we'd wake up, uh, uh, the other counselors, we'd wake up early in the morning, and we'd go to the room that had the washer and the dryer in it where you're supposed to wash your clothes on the weekends and we'd turn on the dryers even though there was no clothes in them just to get some heat we'd, it was five o'clock in the morning and it was cold but we'd get up and we'd go to the, the washer and dryer room just to pray and we'd pray and we'd hold each other accountable and we had these times of worship and they weren't fantastic 
worship experiences in terms of the quality of music, but I remember I learned to love to worship the Lord, and there was a, this, this deep togetherness that we had, and it was, at that, it was at that camp, I went there five summers in a row, I loved it so much, all, there all summer, and I remember one summer, probably my second or third summer there, I pulled aside one of my friends, one of my best friends to this day, and we were talking about, we were both, had just started college, and we were exploring what we wanted to do, and I remember telling him, you know what, I don't think I would want to do anything else except for be in ministry to do the Lord's work. And it was because I loved the experience of camp so much. I loved teaching the Bible and all of those things. Not that you have to go into full-time vocational ministry, but all of us are called to ministry. And so I think I tell all those stories because it dawned on me that as I was thinking about our cultural values and our mission statement, so much of what I hope that we experience as a church was rooted and grounded, at least in me, at least at first, in my experience at Hidden Acres Christian Center. That emphasis of prayer, that spirit-led sensitivity, that daring openness in ministry. I felt like I was called to ministry in that place. And that was a daring, uh, there was a daring openness to that. There was a deep togetherness with my friends that we had there. And then there was a time, that was an experience of, of character formation. There was Christ-like gentleness being birthed in my heart at that time. And I think back on all of those things, and I think, well, that is important for me because that's what I ultimately want to see us have in the church. And I think we see those things, that I, I sense those things from experiences that I've had. I've, we've tried to talk about these are things that have been in the history of our, in our church, and we resonate with all of those things. But what if all of these things that we dream about get in line with what God dreams about for us? You see, something special happens when our dreams as a church align with God's dreams for the world. That is key. It's not just this is what we want to do. That's that's, okay. that's good. That's, we need to wrestle with that. But not only do, what, do we want to do, but what does God want from us? Something special happens when our dreams as a church align with God's dreams for the world. God has dreams for each of us. God has a calling for each of us. I hope that as you look at your life that you are able to recognize this is what God wants in my life. It'll be around relationships. God wants you to make a difference in the people that are in your life, your friends and your family. God, you talk about being in ministry. You're, if, you are at, if you are working or if you're in school or just those that you are with on a daily basis, there is a ministry to that. You are in full-time ministry. And God has a calling for each of us as a church. God has a calling for us as a, uh, each of us personally. And God has a calling for, each, for us as a church. The idea of making disciples and reaching others with the gospel, spreading a passion for Him. And so when God's plans for us align with our plans for our own lives, something special happens. It's like when the energy of this cloud collides with this cloud and it forms enough static electricity that it shoots down a bolt of lightning. 
When, our, when the dreams of God and our dreams come together, it creates that kind of power and energy. And so let's look back now at Isaiah 42, because in this passage we see the dreams of God. We're going to take a trip down memory lane. I've already taken a couple trips down memory lane when we think of our church and as I think about my call to ministry. But now what was God's original dream for the world? Verse 5 gives the answer. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. You see, God draws our attention back to creation. What was uh, God all about when uh, he was creating the world? That was fun for me to see the picture of those fish and that stuff in Japan, right? You think God had a fun time creating the world? I think he had a blast creating the world. One of the places I would love to go to is the Great Barrier Reef. In fact, I have a picture here. Uh, Show the Great Barrier Reef in uh, Australia. I would love to go snorkeling or to go uh, scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef. That, I think God had a great time when he was creating the Great Barrier Reef. Have, how many of you have ever go, been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand if you've been to the Grand Almost everyone. Is not the Grand Canyon spectacular? Can you imagine how much fun God had just with his finger carving out that Grand Canyon? And then he makes these magnificent animals, um, uh, like the majestic lion. God had such a great time creating the lion or the bald eagle. You see a bald eagle soaring through the sky, and there's, there's something that just says, wow, God is a great creator. And then I think God had some fun, too. Can you imagine how much fun God had? Probably got a chuckle out of making a gecko, right? Uh, or the goofy-looking sloth. Or my favorite... The proboscis monkey. Now, God surely had a good time making the proboscis monkey, did he not? And God made all of these things, and I think he had the greatest time, but the height of his creation was when he made Adam and Eve, when he made man and woman. You see, when we think about how how great the earth is and even how huge the universe is, the height of God's creation was without a doubt when he made people in his image. When he made man and woman in his image. This was at the heart of God's original dream for the world. For people to know him deeply and for the people to have joy in his presence. That is why he made the world. It was not for the, uh, the, the stars that are out in the universe billions of miles away. Though that shows his glory. The greatest place we see his glory is in his relationship with you and I, with with humankind. And when God created Adam and Eve, he created them as the highest of his creation. I'll be honest, sometimes it kind of bugs me when, uh, and I, maybe I'm nitpicking here, but every once in a while I'll hear someone who has passed away and they'll say, they've gone to heaven and now God has made them into an angel. I, I, I get slightly annoyed by that because A, that's not what happens. And B, it actually is kind of minimizing to those people that have passed on and gone to be with the Lord. You see, humankind is is created to be greater than the angels. 
the angels are wonderful beings who are around the throne of God, but we are created in the image of God to have a relationship with Him that the angels will never enjoy. We are to know Him at a deeper level and to have greater joy in His presence than the angels could ever imagine. In fact, when God was creating the world, uh, we get this picture of one of His angels that becomes jealous of Adam and Eve. And Lucifer, one of the archangels, comes down to this earth and the Bible describes him as a serpent who wraps himself around the branch of a tree. And and he's uh, there in the Garden of Eden and Eve notices that that he is there and they begin to have a conversation. And I imagine that they begin by talking about how great this world is that God has created. And then... uh, this, then Satan begins to kind of twist things and he says, Wow, so God has given you uh, the freedom to eat from any tree in the garden? Well, yes, we can eat from any tree of the garden. It's so wonderful. But we're not supposed to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan sees his in and he says, Oh, man, you're not to eat of that tree? Well, that's too bad because uh, that's the tree that if you ate it, you would, you would be able to know God and you would be able to know good and evil. And what he's doing is he's just kind of twisting things in such a way that might cause Adam and Eve to doubt the goodness of God. Surely you won't die, he says. For God knows that when you you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the way that God had created Adam and Eve, they are not to be God, but they are to be like God. They are to represent God. They are to know all of God's goodness. But Satan is here uh, just twisting things that would say, wow, that fruit really does look good. I'd like to eat that. And Satan's tricks are as old as the creation of the world because he still does the same thing to us today. We look around and we think, wow, that really looks good, but I know that God doesn't want me to have that. And yet we say, you know what? Maybe God is trying to withhold something from us. And it's at the heart of every sin that's related to greed. It's at the heart of every sin that's related to pride or to lust. And all of these things, maybe God is trying to withhold something good from me. And, and the truth of the matter is, God withholds no good thing from those who are called to, to those who are his children. You see, God's original dream for the world is still our, his dream for us today. For us to know him deeply and to have joy in his presence. All of these other things that Satan is described as a thief, they come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that we may have life and have it to the full. And so Adam and Eve are there in the garden, and they take that fruit, and part of what was intended for them, the goodness that they were to enjoy in creation, is, is, uh, is slightly altered and taken away from them. And the same is true for us today. But that does not mean that we cannot begin to be restored. In fact, Jesus comes in the likeness of Adam, but he does not sin. And Jesus comes to bring the presence of God 
and the knowledge of God. And when we have a relationship with him, we are getting back to God's original intent. That, that takes us down memory lane. What did God create the world for so that we can know him deeply and we can have joy in his presence? Secondly, core principles. What will God not give away? What, in other words, what won't he compromise on? A couple things. First in verses 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I take you by the hand and keep you. I give you as a covenant for the people. A light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. One of the things that God will not give away is he will not give his people away. And that is good news for us. It says that he has formed a covenant with his people. A covenant is kind of like when you take your marriage vows on your wedding day. For better or for worse, we're going to have and to hold. And so God has made this covenant that he will never let uh, his people go. And now it seems at different points in history that God has almost given up on that covenant. When uh, the flood came over the earth and Noah formed the ark, it almost appears that God has given up on his dreams for his people. And so again, he renews the covenant. The sign of the covenant uh, with Noah is the rainbow. It almost seems that he gives up with, uh, with Abraham as well. He's a hundred years old, hasn't had a child. His descendants are to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as, and as the stars in the sky. And again, a covenant. Again, a covenant with Moses as the people are in, enslaved. A covenant with David. And then the new covenant. And the new covenant is the one that Jesus comes and makes. The covenant that is set by his blood. As we take of the Lord's Supper, we say, this is the blood of the new covenant. And we drink and we remember that the cross is the greatest sign that Jesus will not give up on his people. And so all these promises are from God. They are, to, they are for us to have a relationship with him. And ultimately, they are for his glory. And so that's the second thing God will not give away, his glory. Okay, let's read together Isaiah 42, 8. Isaiah 42, 8, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God will not give his glory away. And that is a beautiful thing for us. God is passionate about his glory. We've been talking about being passionate about God. God is passionate about himself. God does not want to give his glory to anyone else. He wants to get a lot of glory for himself. And that can almost sound selfish. But it's not selfish because it's for our good. If you've got something you're really good at, let's say you're really good at playing the piano. It is the most selfish thing you could do if you don't actually play for others. And God is a very good and great God. And the most loving thing he can do is to be himself and to show his glory. What is God's glory? It's, the magnif- it's all of his magnificence. It's his perfection. It's how awesome he is. When we talk about God's glory, we're trying to give words to what is really indescribable. Indescribable. We're trying to describe who God is. Moses once asked to see God's glory. 
And the Lord said, no one could see his glory and live. But the Lord would do one thing for Moses. He would, call, he would pass in front of him. And as he passed in front of him, he would proclaim his name. And this is what the Lord said about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And so that is a good thing when God reveals his glory to us because that's when we get to experience these things. His compassion, his grace, his being slow to anger, his love and his faithfulness. And so God is, God is passionate about his, his own glory and we, ought to be and we ought to be passionate about the same things that he is. His glory and His people. Those are at the heart of the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love others. And these are the things that we want to be about as a church as well. Okay, last point from Isaiah 42, and then I want to talk about some application from this series. But the last thing I want to point out comes from the last verse. And, and let me ask the question first. God's future dreams, what does God still want to accomplish in the world today? Well, we've talked about his core principles, that he will not give his people away or his glory, and these, drive, and, this, and these things will drive him to a redemption plan to fulfill his original desires in creation. Verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, the new things and new things I now declare. They sprint, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. He has a redemption plan to make all things new again. There's God's future plan. His, his future plan is to have a redemption plan to make all things new again. It reminds me of the verse that Paul wrote. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In other words, God takes all the junk in your lives. How many of you have had junk in your life? I should get more hands than those that went to the Grand Canyon. We have all had junk in our, in our lives. Stuff that we've done, stuff that has been done to us. And through Jesus, he takes that junk and he says, The old is gone and the new has come. It doesn't mean that these bad things that have happened to us just disappear. It's somehow in his glory, he takes them and he redeems them. He makes them new and he uses them for his own plans. And that is the good news of the gospel. In a few weeks on March 24th, we have new membership in Baptism Sunday. Best Sunday of the year. Okay, March 24th is the best Sunday of the year because we will have one person after another up here giving their testimony. And every testimony will be a different and unique and it will excite our hearts, but all of them will have one similar theme. What was your life like before? What did God do to uh, save you and to change you? And what difference has He made? 
And it is so exciting. That is God's redemption plan for the world. That's his hopes and his dreams for all of us. That he would take all the junk that we've done and that's been done to us and he'd make us new. And it's exciting as we think about how he is at work in the world. He's at work in all of our lives to make us new. And that ultimately is what he will do to the world one day. Now it's a work in progress. Every person that stands up here and gives a testimony is a work in progress. I wish I could say it wasn't true of me, but I know for sure that every Sunday I stand up here and preach, I am still a work in progress without a doubt. And God's work in this world is a work in progress. But one day it will be complete. One day we will stand before him in glory and we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And one day Jesus will come back on the clouds and he will redeem the world and make it all new again. The last chapters of Revelation say, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. One day Jesus will come back and he will establish the new heavens and the new earth uh, once and for all. And he will take this world that was intended to be a place for us to know him deeply and have joy in his presence And these foretastes that we get now through a redeemed relationship with him will be experienced in full as he has his glory rest on this earth and we will experience all the benefits and the glory that we were intended to have in the Garden of Eden. Or, uh, yeah, in the Garden of Eden. And, uh, And will be even greater because God's presence will dwell here forever. I was, dri- I was driving down the um, road the other day, and I saw this guy. You recognize that guy? That's the Liberty Tax guy. I love the Liberty Tax guy. He's up there with his sign, doing his dance. I don't know if he's got music in his ears or just music in his head, but he's having a good old time on the uh, corner of the street. How many of you just have a slight, in- a little... In- I'd like to be the Liberty Tax guy. You'd love just to be carefree and, okay, we've got one here. Stephen wants to be the Liberty Tax guy. Uh, he wants uh, just to be carefree and love it and uh, dance and be his own man. You want to be your own man. You want to be your own woman and have a good old time. Who wants to be the Liberty Tax person? Is Stephen our only one? Stephen raises hand. Eric wants to be a liberty tax person. Is there, a, is there anyone else that wants to be liberty tax person? Be careful. You know it's coming. <laughs> Eric, Stephen, come on up. Who wants to... Who wants... I need one more person to be liberty tax person. Okay. <clears throat> anyone else? Okay, you guys are doubling up. Okay, first, you guys can stand down here, okay? We'll keep this space up here holy ground. (laughs) All right, Liberty Tax people get to go crazy. We've got three avenues that apply to uh, how we are thinking about this is us. And I think when we think of the uh, the mission statement, and uh, the cultural values, I think of three different lanes that it'll especially have uh, emphasis to in our church, a difference that it's going to make. So the first thing we want to make sure we draw our attention to and we point to is our worship service. 
Okay, show us what you got, Stephen. Do you get music? Do we have music? Can we have music? Is that... No, oh, there we go. It's the music inside Stephen's head. He's got to, it's up there. But when we think of uh, our mission statement and our cultural values, okay, hang on a second. That's good. I'll give you an. <laughs> uh, the worship service is definitely influenced by that. We want the worship service, when we come together, to be a place where there is, where we are spreading a passion for God so that He is above all else. That affects the way we pray, that affects the way we sing, that affects the way we look at His Word. And, uh, and we want to have spirit-led sensitivity. And I hope that as we continue just to, to meet together every Sunday morning, the hour, hour and a half that we have together, how many hours are in a week? I think it's 168, am I right? Something like that. Uh, we have an hour and a half at most together a week. And it is an opportunity for us to stir within us this desire to, be Christ, to have Christ-like gentleness and to, ha- and to be led by the Spirit, to, to be daringly open in ministry, to cultivate deep togetherness. And so when we think of our worship service, I hope that over time we are more and more, we are experiencing the idea that we are growing in our mission statement and our cultural values. Sign number two. Let's see what we got, Eric. There we go. (laughs) All right, that's enough. That's enough. We'll get in trouble here. Avenue number two, lane number two is a care and outreach. We know for sure this is what God has called us to be as a church. This is the heart of our church, that we want to be a church of care and of outreach, and we want to draw attention to it. Like, that's the idea of the sign. We want to, we want to point people in those directions. When we talk about these uh, cultural values, we're talking about a daring openness in ministry. We're talking about a Christ-like gentleness. That's what's behind care and outreach. We want to be about these type of things. And so, for example, we have the, a ministry called Compassion Care Ministry. Nancy Kadama is the deacon of Com- Compassion Care Ministry. And that is all about how can we come alongside what we talked about last week. How can we come alongside the bruised reed? Those that are hurting, those that are struggling in one way or another. In fact, Nancy is organizing a meeting next week. It'll be uh, 12 o'clock right after the service where we can come and just explore uh, the idea of ideas that we might have for the church of how we can be a church of Christ-like gentleness, how we can minister to those that are hurting, how we can minister to those that are uh, struggling in one way or another. Matt Tambara is deacon of Community Connections. He's organizing a, a college fellowship, AACF, Asian American Christian Fellowship on Cal Poly. It's an opportunity for us to be involved, to do outreach. You see, we have all kinds of things together, and all of these are aimed at one thing, to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. That's the heart, between, that's the heart behind compa- uh, care and outreach. And it's affected by 
what we are doing and how we do it, our mission statement and our cultural values. Last one. I have to do de- Oh, man. <laughs> I never wanted to be the liberty tax person. All right. Friendships and togetherness. I think that's super important as a church. In fact, that is influenced by everything we do, that we want to be developing deep togetherness, that we, want to have, uh, that we want to have friendships, not for the sake of having a social club, but for, but for the sake of having a family, so that we have joy together. When we had, a, uh, when we had our Valentine's banquet a couple weeks ago, I walked away from that thinking that was one of the most fun times I had uh, in the church since I've been at the church. And I think those are so valuable for us just to uh, be able to cultivate these deep friendships. When we gather together for the concert of prayer, it is for the purpose of spirit-led sensitivity. But there is a sense of the togetherness as well that we are coming together and praying for one another and deepening those relationships. Walter and Diana are deacons of growth groups. That's the idea of behind the growth groups. Nancy Cortez is the the deacon of uh, church gatherings. That's the idea behind it, that we can strengthen friendships and togetherness. You see, all of these things are important, and all of these things are influenced by our mission statement and our cultural values. And these are the three lanes. The three lanes of, what does yours say again, Stephen? Worship service. The lane of care and outreach and the lane of friendships and togetherness. And this, I think, if we think of three lanes... That, these things, that, these, that this mission statement and these cultural values are going to travel down. It's these three lanes. And we want to con- continue to cultivate these things. I know I don't have it on the slides, but can, we, can I pull up the slide one more time that has the mission statement? I'd like us to read this uh, together before uh, we close today. Our mission statement is this. Let's read it together. We exist to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. Let's pray. Father God, as we have uh, looked at these things one last time, I know this isn't the end. We will continue to cultivate these things, but this is the end of the sermon series. And so God, we ask now that You would do in us what we hope for, that You would, uh, that you would stir within our hearts and, and in, equip us and mobilize us to fulfill the dream that we have, but not only our dream, but your dream for us. And as we do, God, we pray that it would be like two clouds uh, full of energy colliding and that there would be something special that happens from it, that it would pour forth with energy and power and that we would be able to be the church that you want us to be. So God, we commit all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.